Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? What a beautiful day we have here in central Indiana. So excited. It's nice and sunny, nice fall day here. If you're not joining us here in central Indiana, Indiana or somewhere across the country, across the world, we want to welcome you right now if you're joining us on the online campus. If you're joining us at Garfield Park, at Banta, at Franklin, here at Greenwood, and this is your very first time, we want to say welcome to you. Can, give, can we give it up for all of our first-time guests? Thank you for accepting someone's invitation. We're excited you're here. And if you're not brand new at any of our campuses or online here at Greenwood, uh, we want to say welcome back. Hey, super quick, before we jump into our content today, we're wrapping up a series called RP or Relentless Pursuit. I want to give you a quick update. This last Thursday night, our elders met. We meet once a month and talk about church business. And one of the major issues we or, or topics we were talking about uh, was our possibility of launching a campus, a multi-site in Seymour, Indiana. So things have been developed nicely there. God is opening up some doors. And we all agreed on Thursday night that we we're going to move forward and launch a campus in Seymour, Indiana. Is that exciting or what? God seems to be have provided an opportunity for a short-term lease in a, in a concert hall there. So we're going to be as possibly as soon as next week live streaming into that environment there. There should be over 100 people to start with, and we are so excited. If you're joining us from Seymour right now or at any one of our campuses from Seymour, or you're from Seymour at one of our campuses, we want to say welcome to you. Can we give it up for our Seymour folks today? Very, very exciting. So... As we wrap up this series, I just want a super quick review. This series called Relentless Pursuit, we came up with this phrase about 12 years ago. We hired an outside firm. They came in. They spent some time with our staff. They spent some time with me to try to get a feel for what is the heart of this church. And we came up with this phrase, Relentless Pursuit. It captures the idea or it captures God's heart for our community and for our world. And it comes from this idea that Jesus gave us, or the, the message that Jesus started preaching when he began preaching in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus said these words, repent or turn around, that's what that word means, to do a 180, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. See, the problem with human beings when we're born into this world is we think that we can run the show by ourselves. Anybody raising any children? have any grandchildren. <laughs> we come out of the womb and we think we are little kings and we think we are little queens. And we think we can run our lives. And when we try to be little gods, we mess everything up. Have you noticed? And so Jesus says you have to turn from being your own little king, your own queen, into another kingdom under new governance, under a new leader, Jesus. How many of you love Psalm 23? It starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd. You know what that means? He's in charge. He calls the shots. 
He says when to go, how far to go, how high to jump, what to do, what to spend. How to... He, I follow his leadership. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Right? Jesus is a, Psalm 23 is a picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus says repent and step into the kingdom of God. In other words, if people are living outside of the kingdom, they are lost. That's what this series is, the tension in this series, that we're the tension that this church is trying to solve. People are lost. They're like fish out of water. They're not where they should be. What does it mean to be lost? Your, your AirPods are lost. Your, your wallet is lost. Your phone is lost. Your purse is lost. Your sunglasses are lost. They're not where they should be. People are not where they should be. Where should they be? People thrive when they are in the kingdom of God, Jesus came to take that which is out of place and put it back into its proper place. Under the leadership and protection of Jesus, under the guidance and governance of Jesus. And we follow, when we follow him as our shepherd, life goes really well. We become the people we are designed to be and we do the things we're supposed to do and we experience a rich and satisfying life. So in the New Testament, we open up the Bible, we see Jesus spending extraordinarily uh, uh, large amounts of time with people who are out of place, and he gets criticized for it. Why is he spending time with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes? Doesn't he know that that which is holy doesn't mix with that which is unholy? And Jesus is like, no, it's exactly why I came. It's not the healthy people that need a doctor. It's the sick folks who need a doctor. That's why I'm spending time with these people. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories to answer his critics, the religious Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the pastors of the day, who are saying, why does he eat with such, quote, scum of the earth? He tells a story about a sheep, a coin, and two sons. Week number one was about the sheep. Last week we talked about the coin. Today I want to talk to you about the two sons. This story traditionally has been called the story of the prodigal son, but it's really the story of the lost sons, because as we're going to find out in this story, both sons were lost. Let's jump into the story. This is what Jesus says to his critics. To illustrate the point further, because they had a thick head, they needed not one story, not two stories, but they needed three stories to get this point driven home into their hearts, into their minds. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want my share of the estate now, which was a huge insult to the father. Back in those days, and even today, you're supposed to wait until your father dies before you receive the inheritance. It's as if the younger son was saying, I wish you were dead now. It's as if the younger son was saying, I want nothing to do with you. You are dead to me. I want my money, and I'm going to get out of here. And sure enough, the father gives him his money in humility, with compassion. He gives his money his son. He gives, the, he gives his son the money. And in verse 13, we find that the son leaves the house a few days later, packs, all up, packs up all his belongings, and he leaves to a distant land. Not two miles away, not five miles away, not ten miles away. He gets out. He wants nothing to do with his father. He wants to totally detach himself from his father. Doesn't want to run into him in town. Doesn't want to hear friends. Doesn't want to see people that know him. He wants to get away from his father. And there, in that place that was distant, he wasted all his money on what? Wild living. What's going on with this son? In your notes, I wrote it like this. The younger son thought real life was found outside of the father's house, outside of the kingdom. Jesus comes to bring the kingdom, and he says life, real life, true life, happiness, joy, peace, fulfillment, satisfaction, meaning, purpose. 
is found in the kingdom. And then we say, no, I don't think so. I think there's real life somewhere else. I think it's where the party's at, where the alcohol's flowing and the women are flowing. And you can hook up with whoever you want to hook up with. That's where real life is found. You got friends around you and you got drugs to snort or inject or you got alcohol to drink. And, and that's where real life, where the money is, where the power is, where you know everybody, when you can buy whatever you want to buy because you got lots of money and people respect you and your body is beautiful and you're attractive. That's where real life is found. Does it sound familiar? That's our whole world today. All looking outside the kingdom for real life. And you know what it really is? It's idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is not worshiping a little wooden you know, image of a god. I mean, it is, but that's not modern day idolatry. Modern day idolatry is looking to anything other than God for what only God can give. Please remember that. It's looking to or putting your hope in anything other than God for what only God can give you. What can only God give you? A sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, a sense of identity, salvation, grace, importance, significance, value. Only God can give you that long term. Every other means to fulfill those desires will break your heart. And sure enough, that's what happens in this story. He's out there living it up. He's got friends. He's got, he's got a keg going. Every, filling up everybody's glass. Oh, drinks on me. Where's the next woman? Where's the next? Who, let's hook up. Let's do this. Uh, wild living. But then the money runs out. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how the party always comes to an end? Yes or no? Friday night always comes to an end. That sexual experience comes to an end. That website, you know, you got to eventually get off of it. It always comes to an end, and he runs out of money. And exact, at that time, his friends leave, the alcohol dries up, the party's over, and in addition to that, there's a famine. Jesus says a famine hits the lane. What's a famine? It's when there's no food. Crops can't grow. Isn't it interesting that sometimes God will orchestrate a famine in your life to bring you to what some people have called rock bottom? Because some of us are so... Can I just say it? Can I say it? Some of us are so dumb, we have to hit rock bottom. Where there's no food, and there's no money, and there's nothing else to turn to. That's how dumb some of us are. And so Jesus orchestrates a famine in the story so that this kid can't even find food to eat. Not only is the party over, but he's starving to death. He gets so desperate, he hires, him out, he hires himself out to a farmer the farmer says, go, all right, go out to the field, feed my pigs. He's out in the field in the, pig, in the pig pen, feeding the pigs pig food. He's so hungry in his belly. He's also hungry in his spirit. He's also hungry in his soul. But in this moment, he's so hungry in his belly, he starts to think about eating the pig's food. You ever been there? And that's what it takes for this kid to come to his senses. See, C.S. Lewis said it like this, idols always break the hearts of their worshipers, always. You think life is going to be found there. You think this is it. This, if I'm going to get in this relationship and, and have this experience and this job with this money and this, then I'll get this house and then we'll have a baby and then we'll do this. And, and that's where life is and I can't wait. And we put all our hope in this next thing and then we get it and then it's, 
over. We find out it doesn't satisfy. Idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. But that's, that's by design. See, God, God needs us to come to the point where we see the truth of our idols, that they will never satisfy us. And, and in the story, we find out that, that it works. This famine and the fact that he runs out of money, it actually works, and he comes to his senses. Look at the story. Jesus says this. When he finally, I love this, came to his senses. My hope is, is that those of you who are, who are the younger son today, the younger daughter, that you will come to your senses with your silly pursuits of idols and realize it's not going to work. And that you'll go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is what happens to the son. And he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. His father had a big ranch and had hired servants coming on. And here I am dying of hunger. Here's what I'll do. I'll go home and say to my father, and he puts together this little speech, this really well-versed speech. Listen, father, this is what he's going to say. I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. What a great idea. I'll just go home. What happens to this kid? He remembers there's this There's this kingdom you can go back to. What am I doing out here? This pig pen. I'm starving to death relationally, emotionally, physically. I'm dying. I'll go back to my dad. But you know what? It's not that clean. It's not that simple. See, when you really mess up, I mean royally mess up, and you get off track, you embarrass yourself, don't you? People around you find out what you've been doing. Your family finds out what you've been doing. They're embarrassed. You kind of ruin your own reputation. You ruin the reputation of your family. You hurt relationships. There's people that were close to you that when you bolted, when you left, when you got involved with the drugs, when you did this, when you got arrested, blah, 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 blah. Like, it hurt. Now now you've got to repair those. If you were to go home, you've got to face all this stuff that you've done. And nobody likes to do that. Right? Yes? No? Nobody likes to face what they've done. In fact, this younger son is feeling worthless. In your notes, I wrote it like this. He didn't feel worthy. Did you hear it in the speech? In the speech, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my dad and I'll tell him I've sinned against heaven and earth and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just hire me on as one of your hired servants. Now, back in those days, a hired servant was someone that would come onto the farm, perform a task. Maybe they're working with metal or they're working with wood or they're working with the crops. And then at the end of the day, they would leave and they would get paid. They weren't part of the family. This son is thinking, look, I'm not worthy to sleep in the house. I'm not worthy to be back in my bed. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll just come and go. I just want to have a place where I can have a roof over my head and, and have some, fun, some money and, and, and work and maybe earn back some, some respect. This son was feeling unworthy. Now, some, some, some of us stay away from God because we feel unworthy. For some of you, this is your first time back to church because you feel unworthy because all the shenanigans you've been pulling. You thought life was found out there and now you'd like to come back, but you feel, you have self-hatred. You have feelings of, of unworthy, shame and guilt are all over you. And it's not, it's not a problem with God as we're gonna find out here in a second. It's just what happens when you sin. That's the byproduct God's going to take care of all of it, but, but it still affects us. It messes with us. We hate ourselves. We can't believe we did what we did. There's shame and there's guilt, and we heap it upon ourselves. And there's broken relationships around us, and it makes it so hard to come home, but we still need to do it. 
Because the problem is not with God. Watch what happens in the story. The son goes home to the father. And while he was still a long way off, my favorite part of the story, and while he was still far away, his father saw him coming. Can I ask you a question today? How was it that the father saw him coming? How could that be? What had to be that the father was on the front porch, looking, pacing. Where's my son? Maybe today. Where's he? Oh, there he is. Oh my gosh. Isn't that the only explanation? Think of what Jesus is saying about God and how different it was from what the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law were thinking about God. They were thinking that God, if he saw a sinner trying to come home, would crush him and punish him and bring fire down from heaven and burn him up. And and now Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When a sinner comes home, the father is pacing and searching and looking. And when he sees the son filled with love and compassion, runs out to the son. And when he finds the son, he embraces the son. And then he does this incredulous thing. He kisses him. Can you imagine a God who kisses sinners? They've never heard of such a God. The only God that they have learned about in the Old Testament is a God of vengeance. It's a God of punishment. When you break the law, you're toast. And now Jesus is portraying the Father as as a God who, who kisses and embraces sinners. And then it doesn't stop there. As he's kissing him, he tells the servants to go get, well, actually, the son tries to give a little speech. Let's go back just one slide. The son, he tries to get half, he gets half the speech out. He says, oh, father, I've sinned against heaven and earth, and, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And before he can get to the part of just hire me out as a hired servant, the father cuts him off. Watch this. And he says to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe into the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and get the calf we've been fattening for a celebration and kill it. Why? Because this son of mine, watch this, we must celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost. He was out of place, but now he is found. And so the party began. Is anybody excited about that? I mean, does that bring joy to your heart? This is the God who loves you. As it turns out, the best way to explain it is just to say that God loves sinners. That's what he does. That's his heart. A few years ago, I read this book, The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. It's a story about Luke 15, the two sons. Timothy Keller is a pastor in New York City, and he has a Incredible way of putting things. This is what he says about the story. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. There's no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon and cover. There is no sin that is a match for his grace. Usually, I close the sermon out after I tell that part of the story. And I, re- and I challenge you, if you're a son who thinks it's life, there's life outside of the kingdom, to come home. And I say something like, there's grace available for you. 
the Father wants to embrace you and kiss you, come home. And that's true, and I just said it. And if that's you, you need to do that today. I usually leave out the second part of the story. There's not one son in the story, there's two sons. And both of these sons are lost. Let's look back at what Jesus says about this other son. And the reason Jesus skillfully puts this second son, see in the first story, in the first story about the sheep, just one sheep. In the second story about the coin, just one coin. But now all of a sudden he interjects, there's not one son, there's two sons. And he does that because he wants his critics to look at the second son as a mirror to see themselves in him. And maybe this second son will be a mirror for some of you today. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard the party, the dancing, the music in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Nobody told me there's a party. <laughs> what is this? Well, one of the servants quickly said to him, your brother is back. And your father's killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his return. Now, in this moment, what should have happened? The older brother should have said, my younger brother's back. Oh, my gosh, I miss him so much. It's incredible. Where is he? I can't wait to see him. I want to hug him. I want to kiss him. Where is he? Let me at him. Let me at him. Let me at him. Nope. That's not what happens. Instead, we get a very different response. The older brother was, say it with me, angry. He was angry, and he wouldn't go in the house. Not going in there. No way. I'm not affirming this. I'm not encouraging this. He shouldn't be here. He's a horrible, terrible sinner. I have heard stories about what he's doing. He's hooking up with this woman, that woman. He's getting drunk. He wasted all of dad's money. I'm not going in there and celebrating his return. He is a horrible person. So somebody goes in the house, the servant goes in the house and says to the father, hey, your older son came home and he won't come in. So the father goes out and he begs him, begs him, come on in, your brother's home, your brother's home. But the older son replies, and please, please understand this response and where it comes from because it's, it's, it's nasty. It's just as nasty as spending your money on prostitutes and getting drunk and partying. This older brother is just as lost as his younger brother. Listen, listen. All these years I have slaved for you, and never once have I refused to do anything you've told me to do. I've been a good little Christian. I've gone to church. I, you, you, you said give 10%. I give 10%. You said go to small group. I go to small group. You said read the Bible. I read the Bible. You said do this. I do this. Everything that the rules say, I have always done. And all this time, you've never given me even one, once a young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours can't even call him his brother, can't even get the words out of his mouth, he says, but then this idiot son of yours comes back after squandering all of his money, all of your money on prostitutes. You celebrate him by killing the fattened calf? Disdain, hatred, judgmental, self-righteous. Unfortunately, this is many Christians. I go to church, I do this, I do this, I do that. Those people out there, they're horrible. Those horrible sinners, alcoholics, drug addicts, addicted to pornography, blah, 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 blah. Getting arrested, going to jail, fighting, violence, getting divorced, cheating on their spouses. 
I'm not like them. You say, well, how is this older brother lost? Well, simple. Instead of looking for life in his father, he thought real life was found in his performance. In obeying all the rules. That's where his self-righteousness came from. I'm better than this guy. This guy was just as lost as his older brother. Why? Why? Because he wasn't looking for life in the Father. Life is in the Father, in the kingdom of God, in the rule and reign, living under the rule and reigning of God, under Jesus, in the kingdom. That's where life is. That's not where this brother was. This brother was in his own little kingdom. It happened to be a religious kingdom. You know, you can come to church every Sunday. You can even do what I say, and you can even obey the Bible and be just as lost as the younger brother if you're counting on yourself for salvation. The Bible says we are not saved by works of righteousness, the good things that we do. No, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. If, if you're trusting in your own good works for your sense of identity and worth and value and salvation and significance and all these, you are just as lost as the younger brother. Wow. But, you know, the father doesn't write him off. He doesn't. See, the father invites everybody, the younger son, the older son. In fact, look what happens in verse 31. His father says to him, look, dear son, it's a term of tenderness. It's a term of love. Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. Look, You've been misguided this whole time. You thought it was about rules and regulations and obeying and this and that. It's about being with me. This whole, everything that I have is yours if you just live in, in fellowship with me. The younger son was invited to come home. The older son is invited to come home. Why does Jesus tell the story about two lost sons? He tells the story, remember, to explain to his critics that he came to take, which, take that which was out of place, whether the older brother or the younger brother, and put it back into its proper place in the kingdom. That is what Emmanuel Church is all about. That is the mission that we are on. We're going to talk about it. We're going to teach it. In fact, we're, we're not one of those churches that teaches through the Bible for the sake of teaching through the Bible so that you can leave here and say, wow, wasn't that interesting? I didn't know that. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to teach the Bible. And you, want, you know why we're going to teach the Bible? Because we're going to teach it in the context of the mission, of the story, of making disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, of reconciling God and man, of seeking and saving the lost, the relentless pursuit. We will teach the scriptures in the context of our mission. Does that make sense? Because it's the greatest story on earth. It's the only story worth giving your entire life to. God is building his kingdom. He's building his church, and he wants to use you and I to do it. To do what? to reach people like Ashley. Two weeks ago, I was at the front door here at the Greenwood campus, and this lady walked up to me. Her name is Ashley, and she began to tell me how her life had been changed by God. Her life had been changed because a friend had invited her to church. She was looking for real life outside of the kingdom, and the idols of her heart broke her heart. Someone invited her, and she found true life. Check out Ashley's story. 
So I grew up as just a regular kid on the south side of Indy. Nothing spectacular, nothing special. It was quite boring growing up with an older brother who's 13 years older than me and went off to college when I went to first grade. So I was basically an only child. I met my ex-husband when I was 23, and that's when I thought my forever would happen. Um, he was everything that I thought that I needed and wanted in my life. I thought God had finally came into my life and gave me the man that I needed. I couldn't have been more wrong. I started drinking very heavily with him just so that I could deal with him. I was drinking seven days a week. Not necessarily every time I would drink would I get drunk, but I would have at least a pitcher of beer every time we would go out. For seven years, I did that. Um, there were times when I wouldn't be drinking, but for the most part, I drank on and off with him for the whole marriage. I walked away one random night. Not I didn't even know the date at the time. I called my cousin. My cousin said that she had a room for me and my dog, and I could run. I told her, two hours, give me two hours. If you don't hear from me in two hours, call the cops. She said, okay. So I went back to my house after I dropped him off at a bar, packed all of my stuff, packed my dog, and I went to her house never looking back. I woke up that Sunday morning. I had no idea what day it was. And she asked me, are you going to church? No, I wasn't planning on it. And she said, well, why don't you check out my church? And I was like, what's so great about your church? She said, well, the pastor, Danny, he's phenomenal. He could move mountains. I'm <laughs> like, okay, sure. If, if you say so, well, I'll check it out. So three weeks later, I went to church with her on a Saturday at four o'clock for that service. And I've never looked back. I've, I come every week without fail. I stopped and talked to Courtney out in the lobby one day. And I don't even remember why or how it came up. She mentioned Celebrate Recovery. And at the time I was still drinking to deal with my past traumas, but I was drinking every single day, one or two beers. And I knew that that was just too much for me. So she told me that I should check out Celebrate Recovery here at the church. So I went and I met an amazing group of people. Um, in small group, the women that I've shared with, they're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. They've been through so many struggles in their own rights that they inspired me that I can get through all of my trauma and that with God's help that I can do it. So I've been going to celebrate recovery every Tuesday night since I started and I got sober. I am now 147 days sober from alcohol, and I've never relapsed, which is an amazing feat in itself. I feel like God has pushed me 
to be the best that I could be. I feel that he has put me on this path to maybe even help just one person. If I could help just one person by telling my story, I know that I am fulfilling his, his thoughts for his, his plan for me. When Ashley was telling me her story a couple weeks ago, she said, I just want to tell you that God has used CR uh, to change my life, and I'm, I'm a totally different person. And she just went on and on and on about this thing called CR. And I'm just looking at her, and, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to ask her. I said, could you... Is CR, what is CR? Is it a person? You know, what is that? She goes, celebrate recovery. I was like, oh, celebrate recovery. God is changing lives for that program. And if you have a problem with addiction or alcohol, man, sign up, sign up. 147 days sober for Ashley. More now because that, that video was shot last week. So she's in the 150s now. And God is changing her life. That's what he does. He orchestrates a famine. The party comes to an end. That, 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 that thing, that person that we thought was going to bring true life ends up breaking our heart. And then we come to our senses and it's like, well, I, why, don't I just, why don't I just go home? Because there's a father, there's a God who's on the porch searching the horizon for any person who wants to come home. And we as a church, we've just decided to, to be part of the search. To be praying for, serving, loving, having conversations with the Ashleys in our life. They're at work, they're at the grocery store, coffee shop, the gym you work out at. There's lost people everywhere. What does it mean to be lost? Out of place. Not where they should be. And God wants to use you and he wants to use me to help people find their way back into the kingdom of God. The question is, will you join the search? Like, I'm all in. Like, I'll have conversations every day, every single day with people who are out of place. I said, well, why don't you check things out on Sunday? Why don't you come on Saturday? Why don't we have coffee? Why don't we talk about this? Because I know exactly where you need to be. Seeking in, living in the kingdom of God. That's where you're meant to thrive. That's the mission that Jesus has given our church. Will you join the search? During this next song, I'm just going to invite you to stand up to your feet and grab a marker on the side of the auditorium, whatever campus you're at, and jot the names down, the Ashleys in your life, the Jonathans, the Billies, whoever they are, family members, co-workers, loved ones, children, parents, grandparents, Write their names down on the board and make a decision to relentlessly pursue those folks. And if you don't want to get up right now for whatever reason, it's too crowded, you can text RP to 65248. Just grab your phone, two letters, RP, you'll get a link, click the link, type the name of the person in that you know is out of place. And then we'll have some of our staff members write their name on, a board, on, the, on one of the boards, the board at your campus. Be bold. 
This is the mission our church is on. There is no other mission. If you don't like this series, if you don't like this sermon, this church probably isn't for you. You don't hear a lot of pastors say that, like giving people an invitation to leave. Get out of here. No, I'm just saying, I'm just kidding. But, but this is our DNA. If it doesn't resonate with you, this is probably isn't a church for you because we are on a relentless pursuit to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. So I'm gonna encourage you, stand to your feet, get your phone out, write those names down during this last song. And I'll come back and close.
want to ask you a question as we close out today. It's a question you've probably been asking yourself as you've heard this, this talk. Which brother are you? Are you the younger? Looking for a life outside the kingdom? Chasing pleasure? Reputation? A good appearance? A lot of money? Thinking that that's where life is found? Knowing people? Being the life of the party? Getting drunk? Getting high? having sex, hooking up. Jesus would say to you with all the love in his heart, there's no life there. Come home. My father's waiting for you on the front porch. Will you come to your senses? Are you the older brother? Thinking that you have life because you obey the rules and you stay away from hooking up and you don't get drunk with alcohol. And you don't do the parties, and you don't lie, cheat, and steal. You don't skim off the top. You don't cheat on your taxes. You don't, you're straight-laced. You obey the rules. You give your money. You do this. You come to church. You read your Bible. But in your heart, there's no fellowship with God. There's coldness. There's self-righteousness and judgment for all the people out there living it up. If they walked through the church doors, you'd be, you'd be angry. You wouldn't be excited. What are they doing here? Jesus would even say to you, come home. Come home. All that I have is yours. Stop trusting in yourself. Trust in me. Which brother are you? Whichever one you are, Jesus invites you. Jesus would say to you today, I've taken care of everything. I have died on the cross for your sins. I have spilled my blood so that you can be forgiven, so that you could be cleansed, so that you could become a son or a daughter. Will you trust in me? I'm going to say a simple prayer. Whether you're the older brother or the younger brother, you know who you are. Take these words. If you feel led, if you feel drawn into this moment, reach out to Christ in faith. Become his child. Come home to his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I've got nothing to offer. In myself, outside of your kingdom, there is no life. I take my heart and I, I reach out to you with it in faith, believing that you have done it all. You've conquered sin and death by spilling your blood by dying on the cross. You paid the penalty I owed, canceled the debt held against me, and you came back to life. And so I take all my confidence, all my trust, all my hope, and I put it in you, not myself, not something outside your kingdom, but you, and only you. Be my savior today. Cleanse me, wash me, make me as white as snow. I'm coming home to you. Receive me into your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen?
The Bible says that when one person repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. So we, re we rejoice with you. If you just pray that prayer at any one of our locations or online, if you would text the word SAVE to 65248, we would love to get one of these boxes in your hand. Why? Because inside this box, there's a Bible to get you started reading. There's a gift from us to you. From us to you. There's also some instructions on how to get connected with the church, uh, get baptized, small group, and all that other stuff. So if you text the word SAVE to 65248 at any one of our locations, you can grab this in the information booth or at the information booth at your campus. And if you're watching online, put some information in there and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. I'm going to pray for us and then dismiss to the local sites. God, thank you so much for Luke 15, for this story that captures your heart. Jesus, for sharing the insights that we needed to hear about your Father's heart. That you are on a relentless pursuit to take that which is out of place and put it back into its proper place. Help us to join you on that search for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.